Welcome to the We Fucking Love Startups podcast. I'm your host, Troy Hammond, and on today's episode, we are chatting with Simon Brown. Simon is the co-CEO of Banker, which is a financial management platform for kids in the education industry and schools. I had the pleasure of working with Simon recently on a couple of opportunities with Talent Army, and I'd been super impressed with Banker since I'd heard about it from the days of their sort of accelerator program. Obviously, Kendall won Young New Zealander of the Year. They've had a little bit of noise in the market, and to, to see like what it was like working with Simon and to feel that you know all this noise was warranted because they're doing some really cool stuff i was like hey you have to come on the podcast and tell your story simon and so i'm really looking forward to chatting with him and i'm really looking forward to him helping get the message out about how younger kids and how younger generations need to be thinking better about how we can be responsible with money in the future and learning about it at a young age and so yeah let's strap in for this one i'm ready to go so hopefully simon's here any minute we can kick on Thanks for tuning in to the We Fucking Love Startups podcast, brought to you by Talent Army. I'm pretty fussed about who I personally work with these days. It needs to have be a bit, little bit impactful for mm. me to, to work on some roles these days to mm. get me out of bed um, because I'm largely trying to move off and do other things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Banker's really fucking cool, man. I'm like really proud to have worked with Banker and to get you on and so... I guess for those that are listening to this and hadn't heard about Banker or had heard but don't know much about it, what would you? How would you describe it? Yeah, absolutely. So we're essentially a financial education platform for schools. So the way it works is that we've created a simulative environment. So students have their own mock online bank accounts. They earn a fictitious wage. They pay classroom expenses, and then engage in likes of KiwiSaver, investing, tax, all the sorts of financial concepts we engage with in the real world. So. Premises they practice in the safe confines of the classroom. So when they're ready to move out of school into the wide world, they're sort of ready to go and they understand what they're about to go into. Awesome. And what age do they start? Various. Um, sort of some eight-year-olds in primary school starting to engage with the platform. For them, it's more about um, sort of understanding money and that physical money is the same as this thing in your bank account. Yeah. Um, right through to sort of 17, 18-year-olds who are about to leave school and it's about to get real for them, I guess, in a yeah. personal finance sense. Yeah, yeah, awesome. I was talking to Brock, Brock about this, and I was saying my daughter is fourteen. I took her on a trip for to Europe for three months. We, you know, like not three months, four weeks. Sorry, we went to Europe. Worked like she just fell in love with traveling now, and that's what she wants to do. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, what do you want to do? She was like, I want to take a gap year between university. And I said, well, I'm not funding it. You know, you're going to have to fund it. And yep. so it's completely changed her outlook on now and how mature she is about money, knowing that she's saving for a goal and managing her own money at 14. Yeah. Like it's giving her purpose now because it's real purpose. And I guess that's what you're doing with the kids in school, right, is giving them yeah. purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Purpose and the opportunity to engage with money. Like yeah. if you just manage as a parent or as an adult and don't provide them with that opportunity to actually to learn firsthand with you in a, in a safer environment, then yeah what do we sort of expect of students and kids as they hit the, the wide world? Whereas if we sort of provide them with those opportunities to, to start dabbling, to experience it firsthand with the support of a teacher or a parent, then yeah, absolutely, we're setting them up for success, I think. So if they go bankrupt, you don't remove them from school? We don't. Um, we, we do have bankruptcies and we yeah. do have, um, I guess, firings. 
they yeah. have classroom jobs, particularly in primary school, and they, they can they can oh, be wow. they can be terminated if they don't meet their their responsibilities as an employee. I kind of yeah. love that because that's like teaching kids <laughs> like a whole other thing, right? Like it's talking about the impact of work and responsibilities and yeah, know. yeah, absolutely. We definitely um, touch on some broader life skills, um, so introduce them to the concept of CVs and jobs and all those sorts of things, and particularly our primary school platform. Um, it's a really a big part of our primary school classrooms is that sort of job market. Teachers generally have kids doing those jobs in class anyway. I guess this puts a little more rigor formality around it with also some additional learnings around yeah applying for a job and the related sort of skills and so do the different jobs impact their wage that comes into the platform that they get to invest with yeah yeah they sort of earn a basic income Savon starts on the, on a similar sort of playing U- field UBI yeah we're, we're pro the UBI yeah yeah um and then from there they can have different jobs within the class so some may come with more responsibility and be higher paying yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it can be anything. We have teachers that approach it pretty creatively. Um, we've had classroom baristas in the past whose job has been like to make a cup of tea for the teacher in the morning. Um, police officer is sort of keeps their mind in line. Awesome. A bunch of different creative roles, yeah. Or monitor. Yeah, yeah or monitor. Yeah. All the classics as well. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And did you have any of this when you were a kid? Like, where, how did you first learn about money? Yeah. No, I didn't. Like, when I reflect on my time at school, beyond sort of moving into more commerce focused subjects i didn't didn't really have a great deal of exposure to i guess financial education i sort of felt fortunate that i picked some stuff up at home from my parents um they used to talk to me about i guess money and how the world works in terms of yeah economy but nothing in school no yeah yeah it's funny someone said to me the other day i think i was a guest on a podcast and someone said if you could go back and talk to yourself as a child now what would you do and I said I'd probably get that person interested in finance a lot faster just because I was the – like I didn't learn anything about money. Mm. I um, My parents didn't talk to me about money at all. I didn't really understand the concept of money, didn't learn it about at school. And then I was like found myself out in the real world, had to start a company because, you know, like I was an idiot from that young age. <laughs> and I completely <laughs> fucked everything up, like the first two or three companies that I had financially just because I didn't really uh, like understand the importance of money and for accounting and finance. And so I wish that I could go back and do it again. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's really cliche, but the power of compound growth, right? The yeah. sooner you start, the sooner you can you can grow and the faster you can grow your money. Or if you take on a debt, the more that's going to compound. And I think the, long, the, the earlier we teach people about the that the better really yeah and so how did you get how did you and Kendall get into this in the first place like was it an incubator was it something that like a burning thing talk me through it yeah um I get a bit, a bit of a different sort of origin story for us um Kendall at the time was sort of had retrained as a software developer she was at home for a long weekend talking to her her younger brother um he's quite a bit younger he was sort of intermediate age at the time and normally those conversations consisted of like classic stuff like um sport yeah like football cricket um, and wrestling at the time yeah. um, but this weekend he was sort of asking questions about money like tax kiwi server and stuff and she thought it was just weird for a kid his age mm. um, sort of pressed on a bit further and essentially it turned out that his teacher was running a classroom economy so similar on the, the premise of banker essentially um, but it was all manual it was taking a great deal of time to sort of to manage and to operate and wasn't that relevant for her brother like they're growing up in a, in a digital economy in a digital world so having paper-based money didn't really make sense so she came together, um, had a chat to him, then went to a startup weekend, pitched the idea. They built that the, the bones of Banker over the first weekend and then her brother and his teacher could use the platform in the first weekend and then sort of grew from there really in terms of other colleagues within the school and then other schools. Um, and then mm. a few years later, I sort of I came on board and joined, and joined the team really. Yeah, what made you join? Yeah, I, um, I studied accounting um, 
commerce. I sort of went into big four accounting. That didn't really set my world on fire. Yeah. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, so I'd sort of taken some time. Um, I had left my job. I was working on a farm. Um, I'm from a farm originally, so yeah. I just sort of went back to what I knew. And the business got to the point where they needed to bring someone else on. It was sort of Ken I think was the only full-time employee at that stage. And she wanted to bring someone on who she trusted and who she didn't have to pay too much. And yeah. that was me. And sort of, I guess, here we are. So six, she's, six, she's seven bang, years paying you with the, through the app, was she? Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm a <laughs> millionaire yeah. in the app. Like, it, it's gone very well for me in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> good to know. Good to know. Hopefully you can best those <laughs> yeah. at some stage in your career. Um, how does that, and like, this is interesting, right? So whenever I'm dealing with a, uh, a startup that has co-founders and the likes, mm. and sometimes... Some co-founders are a lot more um, in the market, famous, if you use a better word, and then there's mm. always some co-founders that are behind the scenes doing a lot of work that you don't necessarily hear about. And mm. so, like, instantly people are going to go banker, Kendall, yeah. right, yeah, in yeah. their mind, and they don't realise this guy, Simon, who's co-CEO, yeah. you know, running the company together. Yeah. So how did you then come to that co-CEO role? I think we really just played to our strengths. Um, and I think that's really critical in the early days for us. Like, we had to get shit done and we had to get it done as most efficiently and effectively as we could. And yeah. so we just sort of delegated our tasks. Um, Kendall ended up sort of overseeing the product team, obviously being a former dev, that yeah. sort of was the logical role for her. Um, and I sort of oversee the revenue side of the business. And I think that suits us, really, yeah. our strengths. And, and we've sort of grown from there. Yeah, awesome. And so like with I had the conversation that I had with Brock, right, like how does the whole co thing happen in terms of like what, what are your mandates on it, I guess? Yeah, I guess... Um, not man, that's the like perimeter fence. Where does the perimeter fence lie between your roles? And then, so what happens if the board needs to get hold of someone? Can you make a decision without her or can she make a decision without you? Yeah, I guess um, being husband and wife as well as co-CEOs, um, perimeters and boundaries have sort of gone out the window <laughs> like, like quite a while ago. Yeah. Um, we both work relatively closely with our board and we work pretty closely on stuff, um, I yeah. guess, as sort of, the business has grown and we've become more specialised in our roles. Um, yeah. We are sort of responsible for different parts of the business. And again, that sort of come naturally in terms of our strengths and our interests as well. Yeah, cool. And so I think it's, it's funny, right? Brooke, yeah. it's the same. Like they have, yeah. so her and Leighton, husband and wife, and then yeah. they also have a couple, like um, like another that's involved. Yeah, they right? throw in like another couple. Yeah. That, that's brave. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Two couples. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they said the same thing because they come from a place of love and respect for each other. They know mm. that each other's boundaries and they know what other they'll need to like, oh, I'm not sure if the, this this will work. We need the input because they might, you know, have a different opinion than me on this. I'm not sure what their opinion would be, so we need to table this. If not, we can run ahead and do all these things. And Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, I guess being in leadership and management in a, in a business together as a couple is interesting and some people I think just would steer well away from that. I know we went through capital raise recently and, we were sort of mindful around some of the questions we may get around, get from that in terms of that risk. It's, that also, risk and security of yeah. Yeah, everyone leaves. But my sort of take from it is like we've made a life commitment to one another, so um, that, that commitment's far stronger than a commitment to a business. So at the end of the day, we want to go home happy with our relationship in a good place. So yeah. we're inherently incentivized to, to work well together. Yeah, and a few people I've had on the podcast, like James from Henry, mm. right? Yeah. He talked about when I said to him, you know, how are you doing it with Claire? And he was like, I don't know how I would have done it without Claire, right? Like he's yeah. like, how do people do it without their life partner yeah. as well? Is that what you feel? Yeah, absolutely. I was actually out for a run when I listened to that episode and I was just, it, it struck a chord with me. Exactly yeah. that. Like um, 
I mean, we've learned and grown a lot as a couple um, and as colleagues over the years, but sort of at this point, I couldn't imagine doing it with anyone else in terms of the way we were able to work together. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, totally similar position. Do you have to put boundaries at home in terms of like keeping work and personal life separate or do you just, does it just flow in because naturally you're in a startup, right? And yeah, we used to, um, but I think we've just sort of got to the point now where we, we intrinsically know where yeah. those boundaries are when someone's checked right out because they've got to um, <laughs> and when you can sort of go there and talk work, yeah. Yeah, awesome. So what stage is Banker at right now? Yeah, so um, we raised some capital last year, which is really exciting for us. Um, prior to that, we have been bootstrapped. Yeah. Um, to date, we're sort of our primary and secondary school products are, or platforms are in New Zealand and Australia. We launched our secondary school platform a couple of years ago. So that, um, yeah, really looking to grow um, the number of essentially students throughout Australasia using both platforms. Yeah. How much money did you raise? Um, I think public unsure um <laughs> we can we can say and edit it out if we yeah yeah good cool um i think we were sort of just north of a million yeah yeah awesome mm. and is that spent and is that going to be spent purely on resource in terms of team or is it like all-encompassing marketing sales team yeah all the things both yeah, yeah. sort of all-encompassing yeah i mean from our perspective it's really around driving the growth of the number of students using the platform throughout australasia as i said and part of that's also growing our products as well so there's a big focus for us at the moment is essentially ensuring that students can access banker and financial education at multiple different points throughout their sort of secondary school lives. Yeah, cool. And this is something that I wanted to ask you when we were working together um, out of curiosity more so than anything else. How do you do user testing on apps for children? Yeah. Um, I don't with the product app within the business. So yeah. I'm, I probably shouldn't speak with a great deal of authority yeah. around user yeah, testing. Fair, fair. Um, I think over the years we've sort of improved. Um, a lot of the user testing used to sort of be front-loaded in terms of engagement with teachers and students mm-hmm. about what they're wanting and then we'd sort of go away and build it. I think we're sort of getting to the point of sophistication where we can now sort of partially build something, user test and sort of iterate off that. So for us that's been a, a bit of a journey, but we're really fortunate that we have – I mean, thousands of sort of passionate users, whether they be teachers or students throughout Australasia who are pretty forthcoming with their feedback and suggestions around how we can improve the platform. Yeah, yeah awesome. Yeah, I was curious about that. Like uh, I was wondering, because if it comes like from the teachers, right, then they're like in control of the narrative of what their thoughts are versus the people actually physically using it as well. And so, Yeah, absolutely. It's important to get sort of that voice from both students and teachers um, and make sure we're, yeah, I guess representing, representing the needs and desires of, of both audiences. Yeah, that'd be if you've got that'd be a really funny video that I think you could do for your product where you could have like little user test interviews with kids that have been using it. Oh, yeah. Honestly, <laughs> you get in front of a class and you ask a primary a group, a group of primary schools what do you want to say. First hand that goes up is always pets. They just <laughs> want to be able to get pets. <laughs> Slowly edging towards, but maybe maybe yeah. introducing pets. But um, yeah. Pizza is the number one. It's in the backlog, guys. It's yeah, in the backlog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> patience, patience. Oh, I, lo- I love that. I love that. Yeah, my kids would be like, my, I mean, my, the currency of my son, who's 11, is Robux, you know, yep. and so like he understands the currency of money through Robux because yep. if he wants to build something in Roblox or Minecraft or, or Fortnite, it is now, you know, he needs V-Bucks now, I think it is. Mm. And I'm like, well, if you need V-Bucks, you're going to have to do this and do that and do that. And so he's starting to comprehend how money works through playing games. Yep. And so, yeah, it's interesting, hey. Yeah, definitely so. Different landscape to when, I guess, I was growing up. Yeah, um, well, was, we had Monopoly, right, with my age. Yeah. That was, that was how I learned about money, and it was deceitful and shystering and cheating to... Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Monopoly and, like, 50 cent or $2 mixtures of lollies from yeah. the dairy was the other sort of 
my early interactions with money, I guess, yeah. Yeah, we're definitely aging ourselves here talking about how you could buy all these four fifty cents or $2. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not great. <laughs> It'd be like $8.50 now for a little mixed bag that oh, we yeah. used to get from the dairy. Oh, yeah, and those bags would be sealed right up. Yeah. You know, you're not, you, know, yeah. you can't see in those before yeah. you buy them. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so, so in New Zealand, launched in New Zealand, mm. now you said Australasia, right? So mm. obviously over in Aussie as well. Yeah. Do you have to, like, talk me through when you when you move to Australia, do you have to change the product? Do you have to make it more Australian, mate? Or Yeah, definitely a sort of period of contextualization for us. Um, and that's sort of from two perspectives. One is just financial system. So updating how we approach tax and also superannuation or KiwiSaver, sort yeah. of the main product changes. And then beyond that, it's just alignment with curriculum. So changing up our education resources and how to sort of they tie back to the curriculum are sort of the, the main two big changes for us. Yeah. And where do you think, where do you see like Banker going? Is you see, are you going global with yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Australia, Australia is very much the focus for us at the moment. But um, yeah, beyond that, we we want to see Banker worldwide, schools yeah. worldwide, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Is there other products out in the market like this globally? Yeah, absolutely. There's. Um, I guess financial education, particularly in schools, comes in all different shapes and forms. Um, yep. There's some that's that's closer to banker than others. There's a range of different stakeholders, sort of from not-for-profits with sort of paper resources through to, I guess, quasi-government agencies offering financial education. So, yeah, financial education is delivered in, in a multitude of different ways, some of which is more similar to banker than others. Yeah, yeah, awesome, man. I, yeah, I think it's such a cool little product, man. Mm. Well, it's such a cool product. Mm. And so, so talk me through what's happening tomorrow. I'm excited to hear this. Yeah, yeah. So um, tomorrow we're heading into a class um, here in here in Wellington, um, Wellington Girls College, to take the Ministry of Education in. Yep. Um, essentially, show her firsthand how Bank works. Who's the Ministry of, Edu- Ministry of uh, Education? Minister Gentanetti. So, yeah. Um, yeah, really cool to see sort of a, a an education minister who's a former teacher. I think it's awesome to see someone with their first year hand experience within that role. So, really looking forward to showing her how we approach financial education. Yeah, awesome. And so that's the you and Kendall here. Team here, yeah, 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 yeah. and they want Kendall and I and our customer success manager have sort of flown up to to do that, yeah, yeah, man, that's super exciting. Mm. And so then, what's what's on the roadmap like in terms of like how the product could evolve in terms of kids, apart from pets, right? Which is clearly the the most topical thing. Yeah, I've got to be very careful what I say about this pets. Thing yeah, yeah, super important, man. My kids would be like that. That'd be the first thing they'd say, you know, like yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's, I guess it is a, not a parent, but I imagine as a parent it's very important that the child also understands the cost of pets. Yeah, 100%. Um, so yeah, yeah. we can probably help with that, help yeah. a bunch of parents around New Zealand. But um, beyond that, our focus at the moment is, um, yeah, really tailoring and, and building out our secondary school platform at the moment. It's generally picked up in year 9 or 10 within a school, investing further in that so we can also serve year 9 and 10 and also sort of the senior school. So making sure that those students who are about to leave secondary school or maybe the education system for the final time is sort of a sk- equipped with those skills they need to yeah. interact in the, in the real world. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And so that, so the product, then like the iteration of the, what they're doing is getting harder and harder in terms of financially. Um, yep. What are you sort of wanting to see kids understand financially before they sort of leave high school? Yeah, I think particularly for those sort of senior students, it's around I guess how they're going to be engaging in the financial world as soon as they leave. So understanding different career paths and the associated costs and potential outcomes of that, understanding costs associated with the likes of motor vehicles, insurance, how they sort of manage risk, all those sorts of things. So I guess setting them up so they're ready to engage in the financial world as they start to. Yeah. Yeah. What happens if there's parents listening to this that are like, holy shit, this is awesome, um, but my kid's school doesn't have it. How do I... 
How do I get my kids involved? Yeah, that, that's uh, um, something we, that we, we are often thinking about. I mean, my first suggestion is have a, have a word to us and we can have a chat to this goal and approach them. We do have some parents that use our platforms at home. Yeah. Sort of not contextualised at home use at this stage, but thinking about how that could be in the future is definitely Yeah, I imagine it's very group-centric in terms of roles playing and more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's all really based around the concept of an economy and students engaging with one another. So it does take a probably at this stage more of a loyal and dedicated parent to drive that engagement at home, but that's, that's not to say it can't be done. Yeah, cool, man. Awesome. All right, well, hey, all right, let's, so what I'm keen to talk about now is the journey Mm. of like your like banker and your journey right because mm. things are changing you raise money it changes right mm. like and the likes so talk did so go back early days did and i don't want you to talk for kendall right but like she won new zealander of the year young new zealander yeah. of the year yeah did, was there lots of pressure on banker to be successful off the back of that did she feel that i don't think so okay good yeah. no no i think we've always sort of approach this because it was something we were passionate about and wanted to do yeah. and haven't really felt that external pressure. I think that, um, if anything, that external pressure has changed most recently with investment and, and um, broader expectations on us in the business. But yeah. no, I don't, I don't think there was ever a, a great deal of expectation cool. off the back of stuff like that. Because I'm leading to that, my question was then, now then money comes into play, right? Like VC money comes into play. That's usually where people start to feel like, oh shit, now we've got some pressure, we've got some external you know, money coming in, we need to make sure that everything's going well now, we need to be forecasting better. And Yeah, absolutely. I think we were sort of fortunate that we had a, um, established a board with external directors relatively early in our company journey, so we've sort of had some framework and rigour around us as a business for a period of time now. So we were sort of, I guess, accountable to them and reporting to them for for a number of years, so there hasn't been a big step change in that regard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's definitely changing in terms. Is there, of is there financial revenue target pressure now, though, because of the the VC money, or are you just you you were able to clearly articulate where the growth was going, and so that's yeah, yeah, absolutely targets and expectations. Yeah. yeah. So that does definitely it ramps up the pressure, but I think we're fortunate with the investors we have around the table, and they are quite impact focused. So. Um, yeah, they're not just looking for that sort of financial return. There's also that impact piece as well. Yeah, cool. What do you so when you're doing a startup, right? Like that isn't um, capitalism in terms of trying to make the most. You know, like I'm trying to build a, a fucking unicorn over here. Mm. You know, it's gonna mm. like everyone's gonna get bank rich off it, right? Mm. But you, I mean, not this thing that you like. If if banker becomes a unicorn and you all get rich off it, fuck yeah, well done. Fine, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> good. Um, but also, you know, that it has it's impactful, right? Like it really is an impactful product that's yeah. helping for the ripple effect of New Zealanders in terms of the next, you know, like wave of kids that are coming out of school. Yeah, you know, like what's what's the different choices and things that you have to make, like when you're doing a startup versus you know someone else who I won't mention, but a Joe startup over here that's doing it to just get rich. Yeah, it's interesting. We had a conversation about this actually over lunch just with a mate in terms of how you balance that profit and purpose. Yeah. Um, prior to bringing on capital, that was really a decision that, that we made as a business. Um, we, we have a broader external stakeholders that, that played, a, played a part in those decisions as well. Um, and also a team and a culture that sort of developed around that purpose as well. So I think we've attracted certain, peop- certain people to join the team over the years who, who really, they care about that mission, they yeah. care about that purpose. So. For us, it's been weighing up the two. That is an, an ongoing consideration and I guess an ongoing challenge for us, particularly around the team piece. We, we did attract a team that is really purpose-driven and, and mindful of purpose. So it is a little bit of a step change for us to make sure that we're also all commercial, now going yeah. on this journey around growing commercially. Because at the end of the day, that commercial growth 
drives purpose. Like the more numbers, the greater number of students we bring on the platform, the greater number of students we provide with a financial education and equipped for the sort of the world, financial world after school. Yeah, you don't turn into evil corporate just by growing no, faster. No. But you definitely do attract different types of people that, you know, enjoy the hyper growth element of companies and yep. enjoy that it's got a bit of both, right? Commercial and yeah. impact as well. Absolutely. So yeah. Do you so I and I'm curious about like impact companies, companies are doing this sort of stuff. They seem to be really better at having a really good mission statement and sort of key values from a from day dot that mm. transcends through the waves of as they grow their business and they don't necessarily change as money as much as like if we go back to Joe Bloggs' startup over here, just had this product idea, wanted to be rich, wanted to do this thing, all of a sudden it's taking off, oh crap, we better do some marketing on this now. Our core values are X, Y, and Z because they sound cool. And yeah. so do you think you're able to attract and grow those people because of things like that, the core value mission at the start? Yeah, I think so. Definitely in those early days when um it may have not been as glamorous to join our team. Like we, um, we some fairly average offices over the years. We did things on the smell of an oily rag. So it wasn't always the most luxurious and, um, yeah, pretty luxurious and comfortable workplace. So I think intrinsically we had to attract people that something else appealed to them and for them it was often purpose and, and yeah. that mission. Yeah, cool. And what do you think people get from the startups in those early days, right? After sort of, I love it when a company like yours is getting out of the weeds a little bit now, right? Like it's um, getting some notoriety, you know, you get a bit of money and you're able to grow now and start investing a little bit in the company where you couldn't beforehand. Mm. What, what is it that people learn as an employee of a startup in the early, early, early stages? What do you think that they're getting out of that versus just the purpose? Yeah, I think something that I really enjoyed and I sort of see in our team as well is the ability to really stamp your mark on on the business. Like you have the opportunity to provide input around the direction of this company and how we sort of operate. And I think beyond that, you wear multiple hats. Mm. Like you just have to do stuff to get it done. Otherwise, it's not going to get done. So that does challenge and stretch you. It means you have to pick up stuff that you otherwise wouldn't have. I mean, when I when I moved into bank, I, my background was accounting. Like I didn't, beyond having been managed as an employee, I didn't know the first thing about HR or marketing and the things that I've just had to learn and pick up along the way. So yeah. for me, it's, it's that sort of opportunity, that growth opportunity. Yeah, and where do you, where do you learn these things? <laughs> All over the place, really. Yeah. Um, I guess we're fortunate. We've had a bunch of great advisors over the years who have definitely supported my growth and, and the team's broader growth. Yeah. Um, we also work with some great partners as well. I know I've taken a lot of what I understand about marketing and brand from some of our partners and that's I can see how that helped our business grow and develop as well so wherever you can sort of get it from I guess yeah yeah it's a, I mean that's the thing I said like we have I would say half of our audience uh you know looking like they're they're fantasizing about coming into a startup right and so they want to hear they want the kimono to be pulled back hear what it's really like and they're like well can I do it I don't know what I'm gonna do I do I have the right skills and I keep saying to them you probably might not have the great skills, but you're gonna fucking learn them. And yeah. as long as you have the humility to be able to say that you need to go off and find them um, and and ask for help, people will give it to you. You know, yeah, absolutely. And for me, um, a big attribute that it comes back to is initiative as well. Like you see an opportunity, you you act on it. You just step up to the plate and deliver. I think without that, it is tough because that's in, in essence what's required of you. I think, and yeah, also that that vulnerability to say that I don't know the answer or I think I know the answer, but I'm also happy to be wrong um, mm-hmm. and to sort of iterate from that. I think are really two really important skill sets, yeah. 
Do you think that changes when like your first million investment comes in and then the next wave comes in? Like as your roles get a little bit narrower, right? Like you're so you recently hired a head of revenue now, right? Yeah. And so that's a strategic narrower role, right? Does that change how other people might have been jumping up and helping out with that role? Because I, I know you were wearing that hat also, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think roles get more defined and you get more specialised. I mean, for us, we aspire to sort of support our team to provide a pathway to those sort of to those sort of roles to grow within the business and to lead divisions of the business as we grow. Um, but from time to time, yeah, we, we will sort of externally outsource roles to make sure we have that that, that area of expertise that yeah. we need for that stage. Um, but I do also think it's an exciting stage. I mean, for me personally, getting to take hats off and be more fo- focused on certain areas of the business or do a role that's more true to my title is really exciting, yeah. particularly after sort of a number of years of, of grafting, of doing multiple things to be able to put something aside and be like, I'm going to do a really good job of this now, like rather yeah. than sort of 80%. 80% on, on a number of different facets of a role, really been able to hone in and do a great job. Yeah. I think, and that's something that I probably want to dig down into a little bit, right? Because there's mm. humility in that. And so there, and there's also excitement and passion. So I see a lot of co founders um, or founders and CEOs, um, they wear the CEO hat, they wear the chief product officer hat, they might wear the chief revenue officer hat, this, this hat, and they, and they really don't want to give them away, you know, because they become like, this is my baby, every decision I want to make. And I keep saying to them, you might be the handbrake now on this opportunity, right? And yeah. so to then give those hats away takes a lot of courage in the first place to be able to say, all right, I'm going to now give this to someone else. And so like you seem to have said that like with ease like because it's now exciting for you that you get to focus on what your real job is or what your number one job is this being the you know the ceo you know across was that just natural that you were just like oh i'm so ready to just focus on things that it was easier for you or yeah i think so um i think i sort of got to a stage in my role where i could like i can see the opportunities of where we're not doing things as well as we could yeah and that that's i don't want to say like holding the business back for the but this for this business to go to the next level and really thrive that requires someone to be able to give that their wholehearted attention and energy yeah and with me wearing multiple hats that was never going to be the case so yeah I, I just find it exciting and also the opportunity to sort of to bring someone on board and see them pick it up and, and just run with it is yeah it's been really really enjoyable so far yeah, awesome, man. Yeah, no, and I get this a lot in recruitment all the time where people will say to me, you know, well, we don't want to bring in someone, you know, like a manager or we do this or do that, you know, like we want to grow everyone from here so that everyone has the opportunity. And I'm like, awesome if you can, right? Mm. But sometimes you just need to level up a little bit. You need to bring in someone that's already read the, read the playbook and, and acted on it, right? So you don't want someone reading it on the fly in a really crucial role when you can hire someone in that's already read it and acted it. And so... Yeah, absolutely. I think there's sort of a time and place for different roles to be able to learn on the fly. Um, in those early days when, when you're bootstrapped or when we've been bootstrapped, I think that's the appropriate time. I mean, that's sort well, of... You just have to, You've right? got to, right? Yeah. Um, and different roles are going to evolve at different stages as well. For us, as we progress, there's going to be times where we need the right... That we need our person in this role with a certain yeah. skill set and we're going to have to make that call. And then there's other roles where we can keep investing and people saying, look, the role remains vacant. We're going to keep developing. We're going to keep investing in you and supporting you to grow into that role. And yeah, that yeah. ultimately depends on the, the needs of the business. I think. Do you do you ever feel imposter syndrome as like a first time founder? Yeah, yeah. And how do you get past that? Um, do you get past that? Yeah. Um, I think from my perspective, I've I guess slowly grown in that regard. Um, 
I, I, I suspect you never get past it truly. I mean, there's always a, a bigger fish, right? There's always someone you're not. Um, I think you become aware that it's part of success and so it's it's a it's a role you have to play that you're just out of your depth and you're learning and it's exciting yeah absolutely i think it ultimately drives growth without that feeling of i guess inadequacy in some regards you wouldn't identify those opportunities for growth both within yourself and the business mm. I, I think imposter syndrome is a particularly interesting one in a, in a startup because you are short-handed, like you do have multiple people doing multiple different roles. Um, you are aspirational and you want to sort of achieve something. So you see the gaps where things aren't being done well and you're wearing that hat. Yeah. So sort of managing that and just saying, look, look it's okay for now that, that that's not perfect. That, that's good enough for now in terms of what we're trying to achieve ultimately and be able to, to put that to the side and keep driving forward, I think is a yeah an, an important skill and important attribute and something that I know has taken me quite a while to sort of get to that position mm. who do you look at like who are your aspirational like oh, i love that company or i love that leader or, i love that thing is it who are your heroes yeah um mine probably a mix of just broadly new zealand startups and new zealand companies yep. who have sort of been there and done that and and growing from yeah a small startup to a, a, a business that's doing awesome on a on the new zealand or global stage and yeah Beyond that, there's a, a group of sort of edtechs in Christchurch that we, we work really closely with. And yeah. to be frank, there's some of probably the, the people that inspire me most. We're sort of going on a, on a journey together and we're in different parts of edtech, but seeing their success and seeing how they've achieved that from a similar sort of starting place is, yeah, I find that really inspiring as well. Why, like, edtech for me feels like it's starting to blow up bigger, right? Like it feels like it's getting a lot of traction at the moment. What do you feel that? Or um, is it... Just me? Yeah, I think ETH's probably, yeah, I, I guess grown a lot in recent years and mm. that's probably with technology and schools um, has been the, one of the main driver and the main catalyst of that. Um, probably Australasia's biggest success story in Education Perfect. I mean, they're a New Zealand company founded out of Dunedin. Yeah. Um, very relatable story. I think that provides a point of inspiration for a lot of New Zealand EdTechs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely plenty of us about. Um, yeah. And definitely plenty of, Plenty of opportunity, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, awesome, and yeah, it's cool to see. Um, and so you talked about like having local heroes, right? That's something that I think New Zealanders, you know, like we don't necessarily realise how many amazing fucking people we have here in New Zealand. That's uh, part of the reason why I wanted to get this podcast, right, is because we have so many NZ heroes. Yeah. And we have so many people out there just doing their thing, yeah. but we don't tend to drink the Kool-Aid so much in New Zealand. You know, like we do our thing and we don't rave about it and tell our 100 people and we don't usually come on podcasts or we don't rep it, right? And yeah. so for me, I wanted to try and create a safe space where people could just come on and chat mm. and then they didn't have to feel like it was this PR thing that they needed to do. But what it's happened is I have people ring me up or text me every other day or ring me every other day saying, I didn't realise how many fucking cool people we had here just doing cool shit, right? And yep. I'm like, like there's, there's hundreds of thousands of people and you just got to listen. Yeah, I absolutely don't think we celebrate it enough. I think culturally we don't put enough focus and emphasis on it. Um, as a kid growing up, my idols, like a lot of other Kiwi men, were sports stars. Yeah. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I also question if we idolise our successful business leaders, community leaders, like we do sports people, what a different society we grow in. Yeah, and, and, and what people would ultimately grow into. Yeah. And then I think I look at I look at events the likes of the um, New Zealand of the Year Awards. I've been fortunate enough to go along to that a couple of times. And 
That that is an inspiring night. Like yeah. you don't realise what's going on at a national scale, right down to a community scale. And I just think we don't focus enough and celebrate the people in our own backyard who are doing amazing things. Yeah, and is that because like I'm, I, I talk about this a lot on the podcast and that's because I'm actually curious about it. So the tall poppy thing, is that because we're worried about what's going to potentially happen if we get to that level? I don't know. Yeah. I, I can only sort of assume so. Um, yeah, people just seem, from my perspective, have a tendency just to put their head down and, and get on with it. Um, mm. Maybe it comes down to more intrinsic motivation and, and not feeling the need to shout from the rooftop what they've achieved and what yeah. they've done, but it's definitely something that feels like something that's in sort of the fabric of our culture. Yeah. yeah. And it's for me, like as an Aussie, right, moving mm. here to New Zealand, mm. I'm just like... You've, there's so many of you that are fucking amazing. Get out there and tell people because you it's it's an information elevator, right? So if you're yeah. lucky enough to take the information and they take the elevator up and learn all this information, send it fucking back down for other people. So get out and try and talk about it and do it in the way that I guess some people need to do it. Like some people necessarily don't want to do a podcast or do a TED Talk or do a whatever it may be, but it could be just that they could sign up to be a mentor for other people, right, and do something. Yeah, exactly. And I think understanding like even from a consumer how we can invest in kick-ass companies kick-ass New Zealand companies how we can support local like support our startups and our business ecosystem um, by investing in their products and services as yeah. well yeah yeah definitely man like little things for me like you set up a company it should, there should be some sort of baby shower right like you yeah. you know like we as company owners we all get together and say what do you need you know, like yeah. well, I can bring an office chair or I can do this or I can buy this and just like help people you know Get, get to the point where they can feel like they've got a little bit of a safety net and then that's probably a gateway drug into UBI, right, to like having, you know, like some sort of financial safety net there knowing that you can go off and try something and you almost pitch the government for a UBI and then they give it to you and then you can go off the back of that, right? But, yeah, I think we definitely need to support, you know, entrepreneurs a lot more. Yep. What's the scene like in Canterbury? Talk me through, like, Christchurch. I know you've got some really cool you know, governmental sort of stuff. You've got Ministry of Awesome, you know, you've got some other things. Callahan does some stuff, NZTE does some stuff, but talk, yeah. talk me through. I suspect it's not too dissimilar to the rest of New Zealand where until you sort of get there and into the ecosystem, you don't realise sort of what's going on. I know we moved down to Christchurch sort of seven or eight years ago, um, and I wouldn't say I'm heavily involved in the sort of the Christchurch ecosystem at this yeah. stage even, but there's just cool stuff going on. Um, a lot of agri-tech stuff going on, a lot of general tech and unless you sort of immerse yourself in that ecosystem and get along to the likes of Canterbury Tech events and those sorts of things, you don't necessarily hear about it and don't yeah. find out about it. And I think I've seen a lot in the last two or three years, a lot of Kiwis moving from Auckland and Wellington down to Christchurch for, for various different reasons. Often it's house prices. Yeah. Uh, and a comment a lot of them make is like, yeah, didn't realise what was going on down here, like the cool companies that are here. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I know it's, it's funny, right? Like for me... Christchurch years ago, when I first moved to New Zealand 15 years ago, yeah. I remember trying to set up the recruitment company that I had to have an office in Christchurch back then mm. 15 years ago. And yeah. I was told, nah, mate, you're an Aussie in New Zealand. You've got to hire a Cantabrian. You know, it was a bit of an old boys club. And then, you know, and then I thought, oh, I'll prove you wrong. I'll do it anyway. And it was unfortunately evident, right? Like it was a little bit like you've got to know someone in Christchurch to be able to do business and there was a smaller group of companies external but once you got on the internal, holy fuck, there's some cool companies doing phenomenal stuff like lots of hardware stuff initially, now yeah. software stuff, now, yeah. you know, like bleeding like like low level like yeah. dev stuff. It's yeah. super interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really changed in recent years. Like I went to a Kiss My Sass event a couple of weeks ago and looking around the table, I 
a range of different faces from different parts of the world who all now live in Christchurch. And I think that really that really is changing. There's undoubtedly still yeah, a, no, a bit of that, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I, don't, I, didn't, I wouldn't say that it was racism or anything like that that I felt then. It was more... Oh, no, absolutely yeah, not. Yeah. It was more that you, you've got to be a Cantabrian and know the, the way it works here. Yeah, no, absolutely. It is... Um, yeah, a lot of migration into Canterbury in recent times, which yeah. has which is changing that from my perspective in terms of the from the earthquake. Community. Do you think like from the, the idea the earthquake and the rebuild, you know, just have to bring in such dis, dis diversity of thought and people and voices and things that? Yeah, I'm not sure. We sort of moved to Christchurch a few years post quake, and, and I'm not a Cantabrian myself, so can't comment too much historically what it's looked like. But I have spoken to people who talks about sort of the change of that culture and fabric. Used it used to be relatively conservative. Yeah. Um, and obviously it went through a real period of change and turmoil and that naturally meant some people left yeah. um, and others came in and that sort of, I imagine, started the change of that. But I think just, um, honestly, Christchurch house prices has a lot to do with it in recent years. The people who I talk to and that sort of work-life balance as well, that's a real draw card for a lot of people now. Yeah, yeah, and beautiful houses too, right? And a flat land with lots of sun and you know in the summer and cold in the winter. And yeah, as yeah. a Wellingtonian, I was like, why did I move to Christchurch? It's, it's flat. You don't have to worry about like, as someone from Australia moving to Wellington, like it, it's it was so foreign to me that I needed to worry about which direction the sun was coming from. Like uh, the first house I rented, I've never been as cold in my life. I was like wearing three jackets. It was like flicking water off the on the windows at people that were in my house for fun. And yeah, it was terrible. Yeah. Christchurch, much better weather. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Some of the housing stocks probably not much better. Um, oh, really? Mm. Oh yeah, I, it's improving undoubtedly now. In um, terms of like the insulation and the likes, for yeah, yeah. I mean, I went to the University of Dunedin, so I've um, lived in my fair share of. Well, you started from the worst, yeah. So you know, you're coming up, right? Yeah, yeah. Started yeah. from the bottom, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, can't get much. Yeah, can't get much worse than some yeah. of those flats. Oh yeah. man. So how does your role now evolve, right? So now you get to focus on what you, you know, you like your main hat. Mm. So what does that look like now? Yeah, far more of a strategic focus. Um, today it has been very operational um that's not going to change overnight obviously i still play a big hand in operations and heavily involved in that but i think ultimately for our businesses to succeed and go in the direction that needs to i need to have the capacity to be more strategically focused by by kendall and myself yeah what, um, is it, what does that look like now so yeah i think exploring for us exploring broader opportunities or laying the sort of railway tracks for what comes next i mean we've sort of We've got the, the two products and the two markets across New Zealand and Australia, so understanding yeah. what that next frontier for us as a business looks like. Um, and that can be both in the school space, so what is the next market after Australia um, and what the opportunities outside of the school space look like for us. We've identified a few different opportunities that we're looking to sort of explore and, yeah, see what we can sort of build and create in, in the months and years to come. And are you already thinking about the next capital raise as well? Like is that something that you have to start thinking about you know, straight away or planning for, or are you like, oh, I've got a bit of a break now, I can enjoy this? Yeah, we gave ourselves a bit of a, a grace period, really just to... Um, recharge. I guess, yeah, to recharge and just to deploy the capital, to yeah. do, to, to put in action what we said we were going to. Um, we're probably coming to the end of that sort of period now and our sort of attention will move to, to that next horizon, to that next capital raise, what that looks like, um, how things are shaping up, all those sorts of things. Yeah, and you feel because that's probably the biggest concern for most startups that I talk to at the moment is capital raising in this current you know economy. Is that something you're like, oh, you know, I feel comfortable. We've got your good unit economics. You know, like we've got a good story. I'm, I'm comfortable raising, or is it like in the back of your mind, oh shit? 
Yeah, I think, um, I mean, we raised sort of Q3 last year. When we started raising, it was very good economic times, great time to raise. <laughs> um, it was all guns blazing. And that, Here's my napkin. <laughs> yeah, that went south fairly quickly during our race. So mm-hmm. we were, um, I guess we felt like a, a high degree of validation by getting that that raise across across the line. So I guess we've got some confidence that we've got a unique and interesting proposition for investors. So for us, it's about really going out and, and executing and delivering on that. And that's controlling what we can control, I guess. Mm. Um, but beyond that, we are definitely having conversations like with our with our board and advisors around what's the right approach at the moment in terms of burn rate. I mean, being more conservative, slowing things down, making sure that we've got that runway to to ultimately, I guess, demonstrate that we can deliver on on what on the narrative that that we sold investors, yeah. um, and then that we're in a position to to raise again. Yeah, yeah. And what's your what's your take on this, right? Like, so. I, I'm curious. This is a bit of a loaded question. I'm sorry in advance, right? And um, but we, I feel like we're getting it's a bit of a reset in terms of tech at the moment. And so we had over the last three years, it was so fucking hard to hire, man. Like mm. so hard to hire. You had all these companies going, well, I just need to hire people. We need to grow. And most a lot of people were like, well, if I'm gonna if you're gonna hire me, this is what I want to do, and and the likes. And we so we. You know, I think JD on the podcast, if you listen to that, talked about how some companies turn into kindergartens or playgrounds, you yeah. know, instead of work. And so I feel like it's resetting a little bit now, right? And so it's not necessarily all doom and gloom. It's just a bit of a back to the old older days of what it used to be like. And so, you know, you've got a good board that's good. Like it sounds like, you know, been smart in terms of having good directors, good vision, good smart people executing from day one. Yeah. So it doesn't concern me from the outside for you as much as it does for others. No, I don't think so. I think given that we were bootstrapped until like late last year, we sort of didn't have the opportunity to maybe make some stupid decisions to bloat or become inefficient. So sort of being efficient and thrifty is in our DNA. And I think for us, it's just about not changing that and sort of staying true to who we are. And I think at the end of the day, good companies will still raise money and, and succeed. So we've just got to focus on on delivering and being the best business we can be ultimately. Yeah, cool. And so then talk to me about Australia now, right? Like yeah. you you launch in Australia. So lots of Kiwi companies go to Australia first. It's sort of like, you know, it's the easiest place to do yeah. business. We talk the same, you yeah. know, a little bit different but not too much. Yeah. But Aussie, Aussies do feel like New Zealand's like a little, little brother, right, or yeah. little sister. And so – it's hard for some Kiwi companies because they'll go over there with a New Zealand motive mm. to not go to an Aussie, like, like understand what the Australian market is first. Yeah. So talk me through what happened when you went to Australia. Yeah, so I guess before we even launched in Australia, we did undertake quite a robust process in terms of assessing the next international market for us and we were fortunate to, to sort of have NZTE support us in that. We had a, a range of different sort of um, market characteristics or boxes that we wanted to tick and assess markets globally landed on Australia. So I guess from a for a start that provided us with some confidence that that, that was the right step. For us, it's just been about understanding that market um, and really understanding the education space over there. Yeah, is Lots- education in New Zealand and Australia similar or different? Um, yeah, I I think from a layman's perspective, yeah, yeah, fairly similar, probably. There's nuances in terms of curriculum and the way they approach things, um, but beyond that, it's just really the scale of the market um, and the types of schools. So in New Zealand, majority of our schools are public schools, whether that be primary or secondary, but in Australia, a far greater percentage of private oh, schools. Yeah. Um, so that's probably the main difference, yeah, curriculum and the types of schools in the market. 
Is it easier to sell to a public or a private school? Generally private, yeah, mm. funding. Generally it comes down yeah. to, but um, in terms of that ease, in New Zealand we're fortunate that we do have some, some partner support, which essentially means that we can provide flexibility to schools, so we, we can bring public schools on easily as well. We can work through those conversations, but um, yeah, generally a private schools or independent school for us is, is easier to get across the line. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. Like education, you know, health at the moment, you know, like very under-resourced, you know, departments that across the board. Yeah, absolutely. I think this also comes back to our purpose, orientation and mission as well. Like we don't aspire just to go out and, and target those private independent schools. Yeah. We want to provide financial education across the board. Um, so that is definitely in the back of our minds. And as I say, we have different mechanisms that allow us to achieve that, which is which is great. You're like lobbying the minister tomorrow for a national funding solution for oh, all schools. I wouldn't say lobbying, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a bit of a, yeah. it's a bit of a harsh it's word, a loaded word. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, definitely shining a light on the importance of financial education and I guess the way we approach it and the impact we think we can make. Yeah, yeah. And so, what like how can people like listening to this help? Right. And so, apart from talking to their schools about the importance of financial, you know, literacy for kids and potentially looking at banker. Is there anything else that people can do, help, share the vision, sign up for the newsletter? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, advocating for the banker and financial education in their schools is probably the biggest thing that they can do to help us as a yeah. business in terms of our mission. But I think just from a putting banker to the side from an impact perspective, just engaging with your kids around personal finances, like talking yeah. about money, involving them in everyday experiences is sort of the main thing you can do. Yeah. How so, could they do it if they didn't have an app or anything? Like what's something really simple that they could start with? Oh, yeah. For me, even just like your grocery shop, like going to the supermarket when you've got young kids is just the plethora of education opportunities, right? Like yeah. conversations from why you're buying one thing and not another in terms of needs and wants, how you're paying, what that actually means, the fact that if we splurge on the supermarket this week, that means we can't do X or Y or that you need to work longer, just involving them in, in conversations. Yeah. And obviously there's an age and stage in terms of appropriateness of that. You probably don't want to um, be burdening your your young child with the, I guess, the, the more challenging the parts. Pressure, of, yeah. Yeah, the pressure, yeah. Yeah, the pressure and the challenging parts of maybe some of the, the family personal finances. But yeah, involving them really. Yeah, or saying, oh, yeah, and we're really struggling and that's why I'm going to buy cigarettes or this or that. Yeah, like there's some yeah. inter- interesting decisions out there with finance. And yeah. so, yeah, yeah. It, is, it is very personal as well and mm-hmm. in terms of how people approach their finances. So being able to sort of provide that independent perspective as well I think can be a challenge. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So like um, – Kat Lintot, have you come across Kat Ressler, the video production yeah, company? Yeah, yeah, yeah she yeah. Her, her her podcast came out last week. If you've seen yeah. it, I haven't um, had a chance yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, she talked about how she's building this world, virtual reality world, multimedia world, mm. right? Which is there's a VR component to it. There's a movie. There's a series. There's a graphic novel. There's yeah. like it's this universe that she's built, which is like a message for kids and you know like fifteen year olds about how what they're doing now can impact the rest of their lives Mm. and so she talked about you know a little ripple that might change the course of their outcome and i feel like uh, and i actually mentioned i said oh actually simon's coming on next week you know from banker which is which i feel like 
it has the ability to change the course of someone's life because finance is so important to get right from an early age to set to not only just to set yourself up but just to not fall down pit holes you know that you can if you don't understand this little nuance yeah absolutely um i'm naturally biased but i think about the importance of financial and education i think I'd go back to the saying around the only certain thing in life are death and taxes, taxes yeah I guess from an education perspective, when a student leaves the school gate for the final time, the two things that are certain in their life are that their time on this earth is finite. And regardless of what happens in life, they're going to have to engage in money, whether mm. they're fortunate enough and to be to be well off or whether things are a little harder for them, they're going to have to engage with money. And so we should be preparing them for that. And yeah, those yeah. small conversations, those small lessons can make a real difference in someone's life over time. Yeah, well, you must have, like, there must be kids that have left school now, right, that have been using Banker for a couple of years now. Yeah. And, like, so you must have some stories of people that have, like, putting it into the real world. Is it is that the case? Or? Yeah, we're just sort of getting to that stage where um, when we launched our primary school platform seven or eight years ago where those students are now leaving, we shared a, a woman reach out to us on Facebook over the last couple of weeks and sort of shared her experiences with us, which is really cool. So um, our team's been working on a case study around that. So, yeah, seeing the impact of that is really cool um, beyond sort of the the work we do on a day-to-day basis to understand the impact of the platform as well. Yeah, and that's that's for me, like when you're working on an impact business, when you can start to see the return on investment in terms of the impact, that's when it gives you that mana to be able to keep going and moving forward, right? Yeah, absolutely. And often it's just um, occasionally just those stories you hear from parents or um, teachers around the impact it's had. Like I have been to my doctors and the receptionist was like, you're from banker yeah my my kids doing banker i love that and just hearing about that firsthand that that impact that we're having and that engagement we get from students is is definitely really rewarding particularly when um it it can be a grind it can be tough and have that to sort of ground you and and bring you back to why you're doing this i think it's really important yeah man it definitely can be tough like and that sort of leads me as a beautiful segue into my next question for you right so what like what has been the toughest moments like what what has been the biggest thing that's kept you up at night or something that's really you know worried you yeah i think our capital raise was definitely a testing moment for us in the business and it wasn't necessarily the process itself it was just market conditions or the it was just the workload like um we were trying to keep things trucking along as well as sort of raising capital on 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 the side as well so that took a lot last year took a lot from took a lot of us so that was probably the biggest challenge and the inherent uncertainty of that as well around the timing of it, how long it's going to take, when it's going to close, who it's going to be with, um, that that was really challenging. Um, yeah, but beyond that, I mean, it's, it's a challenge sort of day to day, the stuff that comes up, but I wouldn't say there's um, an, an overwhelming moment that I can sort of reflect on and yeah, say that, cool. was, that was the tough period, yeah. So what about the opposite of the spectrum? What's been the like, fuck yeah moment for you, like highlight moment? Do you have one of those? Yeah, it, not one. It's yeah. the conversations with teachers and students and hearing those stories from the classroom of just inspiring teachers who are doing awesome things with our platform and, and having awesome education outcomes for students. Um, can be sort of the small things, rocking up to a, a primary school and being met at, the, um, met at the gate by a student who's taking you in and sort of walking with them and he proceeds to tell me that um, I've set up a business. Cool, what's your business? Uh, I'm loaning money to my classmates. Essentially, this this kid was a loan shark, right? 
not not, not great in itself, but I mean, that's the sort of lesson that those kids are never going to forget when yeah. they were loaned money by a classmate and they were ripped off. Or there was another teacher whereby she held, she used, um, took a lesson around cyber safety, introduced students to phishing scams. Um, and so like if you get an email from someone at the bank, don't just give them your details. Kids went home. She sent them an email from a, a fictitious personal email being like, um, Simon from Banker, can you give me your password? Those who responded to that email, they turned up the next morning and their, their banker fictitious oh, money had been cleaned out. So, I love that. Yeah, yeah. So just those sort of like those moments, hearing about them in the classroom and the impact that's making is probably the highlight for me. It's what sort of fuels me. Man, that, that, that for me, like, I, I try and expose my kids to real world situations at all times. So if something yeah. comes up that's topical for me and it's something that I'm personally going through, mm. I always try and include them on the conversation and tell them. Yep. So like fishing, like we're getting, I'm getting a lot of robo texts at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so like I'm trying to sit down with my kids and show them or I'm saying, all right, an email, like, let's check their email. Let's look at the, where it's come from and the likes. And so the fact that your app is helping to do this with like finance, that's really fucking cool. Yeah, absolutely. And we sort of work at the moment to introduce sort of more or grades for education. We work with KeyBank, they support us. So they've sort of um, supported us in terms of understanding what those scams and those vulnerabilities look like. So we're making sure that what we're presenting to students in terms of the attempts of phishing them within the bank app are consistent with the real world and we're delivering that relevant education because, yeah, as you say, it's, it's more and more prevalent. Yeah, awesome, man. Hey, so we've only got time for a couple more questions before we have to let you get off and um, start your preparation for tomorrow. But So you've listened to a few episodes then, I assume, by mm. what you've said. What... Um, so I always find that like when someone is when someone comes on a, on the podcast, right? They're looking yeah. to sell something, right? Not to me, not to you know, but they're trying to get a message out to the audience. It's either sell sell myself out of obscurity and get myself a bit more popular, <laughs> sell a really cool product that I have, sell the company vision, you yeah. know, like sell, you know, capital rounds coming, yeah. sell new customers. What are you? What would what would you like today to be for you? Like, what do you what do you think it is that your important message is that you're trying to get out? Yeah, I guess it would be remiss. Obviously, I've I've had a couple of plugs of of banker and and, yeah. and selling that to, <laughs> to your kids' teachers, um, but I think beyond that, it's just really the importance of financial education, yeah. um, encouraging people to engage with their kids around money to. In, to include them in those everyday situations and and yeah those those everyday situations and scenarios around personal finances and also just engaging in your own personal finances like I talk to a lot of friends about their own personal finances and their own journey and a lot of them still have a degree of intrepidation around starting to invest or, or that sort of thing so just encouraging people to to be curious to seek out that information and and to really engage and the sooner they start doing that, the sooner they can start benefiting from the likes of their compound growth, I think. Yeah, awesome, man. I would have said that about you. Like I think I talked about it before, the information knowledge, right, like getting any important messages of information out. And mm-hmm. I, I was hoping that would, would what you would your podcast would be, right, because it's a cool mission and it's a cool message. And, yeah, I think it's probably not just for kids, unfortunately. Lots of people need to think about financial literacy and understanding. And Yeah, honestly, one of the um, – meet you meet someone for the first time small talk what do you do for a job explain it honestly nine times out of ten the response is that's awesome i wish i'd had that when i was at school which is cool because they do have it at school now but then we have this whole generational age group which feels like they've missed out so yeah i think there's a lot of resources out there um and 
yeah, just really good. encourage people to engage in those. Yeah, man. Well, my, my personal generation, we, we were the credit card generation. Mm-hmm. You know, like we were the first to really get credit cards from a young age and to get ourselves into heavy debt, right? Yeah. And I was like token child, right? you know, yeah. poster child for that, like went yeah. out and um, ticked up a couple of credit cards trying to, you know, run a business and found myself at, you know, 18 years old, 19 years old, yeah. heavy debt and had to work yeah. my way out of it, you know, and it was a horrible existence. And I think because of that lesson late in life, I realised I never want to do that again. And yeah. so I had to clean it up a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, it's... um. It's cool to see what's going to ha- you know what's going to happen with the next wave and so, but the last last question I have for you, man, is so you you might have heard me talk about the what makes you happy question. Mm. We're mixing up a bit for season two, oh, yeah. yeah. Unless you've got a really good answer for that. No. Okay, no, good. Least, right. least well, not good, but you know, like um, <laughs> the question we're asking now is like, what's the nugget of information? So like. If we are going to put something in the show notes, right, that you're like, hey, I really think everyone should look into this. It, like, it could be a person, it could be a podcast, it could be a book that you've read, it could be a website that you frequent, it could be a bit of news information. But what's like the one thing that you're like, I want to share this with everyone. You should probably look at this. Yeah, I talked a bit, obviously touched on engagement around personal finances. So yeah. I guess a bit more of that in terms of just taking control of your own destiny. But Beyond that, I think it would probably be around just being really mindful in terms of what you're doing in life, in yeah. terms of your job and in your career, whatever stage that's at. Yeah. And just taking action to to go towards a place which brings you happiness and fulfillment. And yeah. I can't say that I've got a specific resource or place where I would go for that. But yeah. for me that's something that's really important. Yeah, awesome, man. Awesome. Thank you. That's really cool, man. Hey, well, thank you so much for coming on, man. Like, no um, you know, as I said, I've been a big fan from day yeah. one. Like, love the fact that I could help out and love the fact that I could get you on and, you know, really respectful of the company, the value, the missions, the like hearing the inside word now a little bit and, you know, Sometimes you hear about these companies and you're like, oh, I hope that they're the people that I fantasize that they are. <laughs> and so it's always really nice to hear you know, that people are. So thanks so much for coming on, man. Nice. Awesome. It's been a privilege. And yeah, I've listened to a lot of the episodes. Really appreciate you continuing to make them and sort of provide that inspiration for, for people all around Aotearoa. So keep, on, keep yeah. on going. Thank you, man. It is my absolute pleasure. I really enjoy it. So nice. That was a really like case in point of like an impact company and a purpose company chatting with Simon. Like it really is like you felt it, right? It's it's like it's empowering for people to work there for their mission, for their statement. And then now they have to bring in venture capital and they have to keep all those things and they're growing and all the things. And so it was really cool to chat with Simon. I like, I think we heard a lot about the early days of a startup and a founder and how you wear multiple hats and how you do a co-CEO and how do you do it with your partner and you know, lots of takeaways there. So I really appreciate you coming in to chat, Simon. I'm really looking forward to seeing Banker getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's going to help with the next generation of kids getting out there and not getting themselves into credit card debt like me. Don't buy those stupid Jordans right now. You don't need them, you know, like save up and go on holiday instead. And once you've got the profit coming back from your investments, then buy the Jordans. Until then, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Thank you so much for all these people that get to this end. You're still listening. You're still watching. You've been on this mission with us. Thank you for all our subscribers. Thank you to everyone. Until next time. This podcast is produced by John Otaka from Empire Films.